And we're live. Well, guys, welcome very much to our second uh, online GM panel. Uh, my name is Michael from the RPG Academy podcast, and we have gathered many of the network affiliates and one former uh, to bring you a panel tonight about how to be a better player in an RPG game. And that will be kind of subjective based off of uh, who's saying what. So before we get <laughs> before we get started, let's go around and meet our panelists and our moderator. Um, so we will start. Actually, I'll turn it over to Jim. Jim, you can manage the introductions if you don't mind. All right, certainly. Thank you, Michael. And and I won't take that shot against me as anything personal and, and give you less screen time than everyone else. But yes, uh, we're we're back here with the the GM symposium here for the RPG Academy. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about players. Uh, this is specifically advice for players, not advice for GMs in dealing with players. This is advice to players. And that's going to be our, our topic here that we'll talk for, well, however long we end up talking for. But yeah, let's um, let's go around the room real quick and introduce everyone. Let's start with Christopher over there. Why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Uh, my name is Christopher. I am from the Sharkbone podcast. Um, my little lower third is not working right now, so my computer sucks compared to everybody else's. Uh, I, I'm in the exact same problem. I am I am lower third list, so uh, we'll we'll have to see what we could do to uh to to fix that. Uh, Kevin, oh, I thought you were lower third list because you weren't part of the network anymore. Wow, wow, <laughs> this is going to be rough. Kevin, how, how about an introduction? Hi everybody, my name's Kevin Smith. Uh, Jim, I'll I'll leave you alone about the network thing. I'll try to be kind. Um, I am the blogger behind Melvin Smith's Geekery. Uh, happy to be part of this network. I, I've enjoyed. I've really enjoyed the affiliation with everybody here, and I'm excited to join in on the symposium this time. Okay, and Michael, why don't you tell us about yourself? So uh, my name is Michael Long. I've been working with uh, Sean Ellsworth on Tribality for over a year now. We've been putting together articles and running Tribality. It's been it's been very interesting, um, cranking out articles every week. So, what we've done is we have a, a crew of of authors that help us do that, and uh, they're great. And I'm just glad that everything is taking off so well for Tribality. Wonderful, and I'm a big, huge fan of Tribality. Fantastic articles over there. Uh, but coming up next is Senda. Senda, why don't you tell us about yourself? Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Long time no talk. Um, I'm Senda. I am one half of the She's a Super Geek podcast. We are an actual play, um, an edited actual play podcast that highlights women as GMs. And we release bi-weekly episodes, and I think they're pretty cool. And hopefully you do, too. You should listen to them. That's my pitch. <laughs> fantastic pitch. Fantastic. It always trails off into awkward at some point. That's pretty much how most of my conversations go. Yeah, just I just keep <laughs> talking until someone's eventually stopped listening. Uh, but that that takes us to our last person, the the man, the myth, the legend, uh, and that is Michael. Michael, how are we doing? I'm doing very well, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, I am Michael, again, from the RPG Academy, which is the uh, flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. We were supposed to have another panelist. Uh, Lucas from City of Brass was supposed to join us. I'm not sure yet what's happening, so it's possible he may jump on uh, here in a few moments. I just wanted to give him an introduction in case he does. 
Uh, but as for the RPG Academy podcast, we are very eclectic. We put out actual play episodes, which are also edited. We also do the general advice dis- uh, discussion shows. We do uh, interviews with uh, indie developers and Kickstarters and other personalities. We do trials of brand new games. We do one shots, and we even do movie reviews on occasion because we just, you know, we like to do a little bit of everything, I guess. Um, and uh, one of the things I wanted to mention before we get too far along. Um, and well, first of all, we do have the Q and A app open. Hopefully, I do see we have a few viewers. If you have any questions for us um, for the panel, please go ahead and use the Q and A app and let let us know. If that doesn't work, you can tweet them at Jim. He's going to be moderating the panel, um, which is at uh, GM Jim McClure. Uh, but I want to announce a little bit about Acaticon because I'm super excited about it. Hopefully, you guys are as well. Acaticon 2015 was amazing, and we are going to do it again, a little bigger, a little better. Hopefully. Um, so the only thing we're going to announce tonight, because we're going to do a full show on this, I'm sure I'll be doing a million shows about it, um, is the venue and the dates. So Acaticon 2016 is going to be happening at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's a lot more, it's, it doesn't have the ambiance that the Lodge had, uh, for those of you that were there last year, uh, but it does have the convenience factor of actually being somewhere. Uh, it is next to restaurants, it's next to hotels, it's next to bars, it's next to the airport, uh, so it's a little bit more convenient. Uh, and the dates we're going to do are November 11th, 12th, and 13th. So hopefully you guys will be looking for more information about that soon. And then the last thing about that, because Lucas isn't here, uh, City of Brass is a, is a web suite of tools that you can use to manage your campaign. And there's a coupon code, uh, Catacon16. If you use that code when you sign up, you get a discount, and I get a little bit of percentage of your subscription fee that we are going to use specifically to bring a lot of the people you see here below you to a Catacon 2016. So I pledged any money that we get from anyone using that code will go directly to helping travel expenses for any of our network affiliates who would have to come out from various places like Texas or Denver or, you know, Cincinnati. Because, Jim, you know, I could give you like five bucks gas or something. Listen, it's a long drive. That's like 25 <laughs> minutes. It's absurd. It's half a podcast. All right. So enough of all that. Let's get started with the show. Jim, take it over, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. So yes, again, we are here to talk to players about advice for players. And that is what we're going to start with today. So I want to start, uh, of course, sort of at the beginning. And that is most people's first experience at a tabletop is as a player. You know, that's how you come in. There's some people that have come in and go, oh, I'm going to GM, mainly because they don't know anyone else. But most people who come into play, they start as a player. So I kind of want to go around the room, um, you know, and get what is your advice as a player that's looking to start in tabletop, um, what is your advice that you give to them of you're going to be coming kind of to the table for your first time? What do you want to do? What should you do to prep? What should you experience? And what should, on a basic level, you do to have a fun first-time gaming? Um, so actually, Michael, I'm going to kick it back to you uh, to be the first answer on this. What? Uh, how do you take on this? Well, a little bit biased, but I would suggest listening to a podcast that uh, might feature actual plays, particularly of the game that you're about to play, uh, so that you can kind of hear how it goes and you can learn how the back and forth uh, of the DM and player goes so you kind of know what's going on. Also, just try to know your character as best you can so that you're not having to you know, fumble through spells or what your modifiers are. People will certainly help you with that, but the more you know, the better uh, you'll be uh, prepared. And then don't try to out-roleplay anybody. Like, don't walk in and think, you know what, I'm just going to be the, the best role player. I'm going to try to out-role play anyone else at the table. Just have fun. 
Okay. Uh, well, considering you, you talk about live play podcasts, I've got to throw it over to Cinda. Cinda, what, uh, what's your thought? What's your take on this? Um, I agree with Michael, but um, I also have to say I came into it uh, for the first time I played. Um, yeah. See, the first game I ever played was uh, 3.0, Dungeons and & Dragons, and I'd never played anything before, and I'd never heard any podcasts or anything at all, ever. Um, and so I think part of it is also just being able to, being willing to jump in and willing to, um, to kind of pick things up and work with people. Um, and, and remembering that it's a team activity, I think, is the biggest part, is remembering that you're working with a group of people and you're all there to have fun. And I think a lot of people come into gaming with a perspective, um, especially from computer games and also from board games, a lot of times um, the things are competitive. Um, and, and I think sharing the spotlight and learning to pass around that like the baton so that everybody gets their time in the spotlight and that sort of thing is one of the hardest things to pick up as, as a, a super newbie. Like the first time you sit down, that group dynamic just doesn't necessarily click and happen. Um, so I think that the most important thing to remember is you're a team. Work together. <laughs> Help each other out. That's just All my right. take. W wonderful. Uh, Kevin, Kevin what, uh, what, what's your take on this? What do you think? Well, first of all, if you've never played an RPG and you've happened across this, you're very lucky because you're taking a bigger step than most people get before they are first introduced to something like this. So like Michael mentioned, being able to listen to podcasts and kind of get that exchange between GM and player, a lot of people aren't going to be so lucky as to just stumble into that. And kudos to you for looking into it before getting able to for being able to look into it before you play. Um, if I could speak to the people that just sit down completely fresh with no background into it at all, partially I'd say I hope you get lucky and have a GM that's willing to really like be easy on you, Let, just guide you by the hand, uh, try to understand your character as best as possible, read as much of the book as you can, but... Honestly, it's a shared experience, like Sendo was saying. I mean, it's all about getting with people and having fun, so hopefully you get with a good group and you also share that shared mentality of sharing with others, just enjoying the game before you get down to the nitty-gritty of the rules. All right, and Christopher, you said you uh, you had something on this as well. Uh, yes, Um if it's your first time playing an RPG, I'm assuming that means that you know at least one person in the group. So, um, like Senda was saying, it is a group experience. There is no winner and loser because it's not competitive. It's cooperative. So get with your friend who's there or one of your friends who's in the game if you know lots of people. And kind of like be that person's ward or that person's squire, you know, be the Robin to their Batman. So, you know, talk with the player beforehand and be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Mind if I just follow you around in-game and, you know, choose one person to try that role-playing thing with if you've never done it before. So instead of trying to um, take every scene and interact with everyone, just concentrate on one or two people to begin with, and then as you get more comfortable with the group dynamic aspect, then branch out to other uh, characters. 
And also a great thing to do is just watch TV shows with a group ensemble cast and just see how all they interact, how the characters interact on screen. You know, or, you know, you like Marvel, watch The Avengers. If you like cartoons, watch Avatar The Last Airbender. Just find something with an ensemble cast and see how everything, all the characters interact and kind of use that as a springboard for ideas. Okay, um, and and I realize we have two separate Michaels on the conversation, so we're going to go with, with with Michael and Michael L. So I'm going to say that the L is more prestigious. So so sorry, just plain Michael. Uh, but Michael L. Um, one of the questions that was just, or one of the the things that was just brought up by the panel that's interesting is, especially as new players coming in. How much would you encourage new players to read before their first game? You know, if, if I'm going to sit down and run my very first ever game and I'm going to play whatever, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, and I have a core rule book in front of me, what would your, be your advice on how much prep should I do before I get to the game table for that? Um, I don't think you should do any prep. You're fresh. You have people that know how to play. It's just like learning any game. You want to, to experience something, and they're going to try to show you as best they can. What I would suggest is to bring somebody with you that hasn't played also. You don't want to be the lone guy that's the newbie. and So if you br- bring another friend with you to play, and you're both learning, it's a lot better experience because you have a friend, and it's like tag team. Um, they can bring up some questions you didn't think of that, that come up. Oh, I didn't know how to do that. He asked a question. Because I was kind of, you know, a little reluctant to ask too many questions, and then those questions start coming through. But reading all the rules when you have someone that's experienced, you have an experienced DM that knows everything, and you have other players that know everything, you don't really need to read that much. If you want to, it's okay. But I, I, I run through a lot of new players, and they come through, and they, ha- they don't have books. They, they didn't have a chance, and it seems like it's a better experience for them. They're like, wow, you can do this? Because they're used to video games. I can do anything in this world. They're not, you know, they're not pigeonholed by a, a programmer that put the, together an RPG, a computer RPG. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you need to read that much. Okay, and that's uh, that. That's a real interesting take on it. Uh, Sendo, what what do you have? What do you think on this of how much, much prep work should a player do before they, they get to their first game? Um, I actually kind of agree with Michael. So I wanted to jump in. Um, I have to warp it a little bit to the GM perspective for a minute. Um, and it's just because I have actually run a lot of games at this point for folks who have never played before um, several times. And sometimes it's been at conventions. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's something like uh, I actually had a group of friends approach me and be like, we know you're really into this role-playing thing. It sounds really cool, and we're really interested in it, and we don't know how to start. And uh, can you run something for us so we get a feel for it? Um, so I, I tend to grab people into those situations as a GM and then run things that really don't require them to do a lot of upfront time investment because I do feel like as a new player, you don't even know if you like this or not. Like if you're watching this, hopefully you think that you're going to like it. So that's why you're interested in learning more about being a better player. But, um, you know, uh, I do think that even 5th edition is, you know, it's a little thinner. Um, but even 5th edition D&D, when you slam that book down on the table in front of someone who has no experience yet, 
Um, that's really intimidating. In fact, I feel like that's one of the largest barriers to entry into our hobby is this like thing they're like, no, you have to know all the rules from page one to 300. Um, I mean, of course, when I'm trying to learn a new game for me, I'm reading all of those rules, but I have a background already in how games work. So, um, so I do feel like for your first time ever, I feel like you should be able to walk into a situation where other people can support you in terms of the knowledge base. And you can hopefully just like dive in and experience the good parts that would make you want to read the rules. So maybe for your second session or your fourth session or whatever. I know that for me personally, I didn't touch a rule book until I'd already played a session and it worked really well. And then I immediately stole the books from my DM at the time and read all of them cover to cover and then came back the next week and was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> And actually, and I guess maybe the, the moderator's not supposed to tell stories here, but darn it, I'm going to tell a story. Um, because, because Senda, you reminded me of my, my very first ever actual play experience with Tabletop. Uh, what you describe is exactly what happened. I sat down at the table. We won't go into all the backstory of how I got there. And I literally had a stack of five or six books dropped in front of me when I asked, how do you play this game? And they dropped those and said, read these to find out. And that was my very first ever experience to tabletop. Um, but again, without going to too much of my story, the only other person that likes on this panel to talk more than me is Christopher. So let me see what uh, what, what Christopher's opinions is on uh, on prep before you get to the table. Um, I'm actually going to have to slightly disagree with my esteemed colleagues on this one because I would say that um, you should prep as much as you feel comfortable with because... Like Senda, I'm very much a mechanics junkie. I like to read the book three times before I even attempt to explain it to someone else, let alone try to run it. And my first experience with, uh, with role-playing, I was the GM, so I had to know the rules. So if you enjoy reading those big tomes, go for it. But if you see those five books slapped down on the table in front of you and see that as like an intimidation, then don't read it. If you want to, go for it, but do just enough to keep to make yourself comfortable. Especially if you're trying to do something with a lot of uh, history and backstory, don't go read all of the Forgotten Realms novels because you'll never get to play. But, you know, grab the Forgotten Realms player's guide, read through like the first chapter, it's like, hey, this is the introduction to the, the realms, this is what you should expect. You know, those sections are great, you know, if you're very new to it, a lot of games have the, this is what role-playing is. Here's an example. Here are the, you know, main um, mechanical, like, jargon. You know, here's what a saving throw is. Here's what, um, for, you know, 3, 3, 5, here's your base attack bonus or your proficiency bonus. So you can get yourself comfortable enough so when it comes up in play, you're like, oh, hey, I remember reading about that. Instead of being like, what are they talking about? This is all sorts of weird shit. Okay, and and see, I can't sit on too much of my high horse about not requiring people to do a bunch of reading because I, I play this wonderful game called Legend of Five Rings, so everyone can take a drink. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of mandatory reading involved with that, but uh, <laughs> actually everyone has water. That's scary. Uh, but let me let me go over to uh, to Michael. What's, uh, what, what's your take on this? What do you think about it? Well, I just wanted to kind of circle back around. Um, 
because I was trying to think of this from the player. Like if I'm I'm a player, I've never played before. What's going to make me comfortable at the table? And that's where I, you know, I mentioned read as much as you can, know your character as much as you can. But to Cinda's point, if I'm the DM and I have four or five people that are, they want me to teach them how to play, I would prefer that they don't read anything. Uh, and I'm going to explain the rules as we go. Like even when we start the game, we're just going to start. Okay, you're fighting a goblin on a bridge. Go. And then when they say, well, how do I how do I do that? I will then explain just the rules I need to explain to keep the game going. But I wanted to kind of bring that back around to, again, from the GM side, I would want to start with a very rules-like game anyway, something that, you know, like Dread or Wushu or uh, I think Rissus is another one. I'm sure there's a bunch out there that are less mechanically crunchy just to focus on that give and take back and forth. Uh, All Out of Bubblegum is another. Yeah, I have played that one as well. It's also a lot of fun. So, so yes, so I kind of agree with Cinda and Christopher. Be be as prepped as you feel comfortable with, but from a GM standpoint, I'm actually I would prefer to go in blind than to have someone who's read every rule book but doesn't exactly know how it works. Okay, um, so so that's our our prep before we get to the table, and and then our our new player he's come to the table, he's done his prep, and now he starts playing. And the first thing in my experience that a lot of players have issue with um, is getting into character, getting into into role play. And we actually have a an, an audience question which say which would what would you want to find out how to better play a bard? And we're gonna start at a basic level and then expand into the specifics. But thank you for that question from James in Alabama on Twitter. Um, what I want to start, and I'm going to direct this question to Kevin first, is the what is your advice to players? You know, they come to the table, they've they've gone there through their first couple play sessions, they kind of got the feel of what tabletop is. They know where their character sheet is, they know how to roll D20s, but when it comes to to getting into character, getting into possibly the, the theatrics of, of role play, getting into the role play aspect of it, uh, for people that are kind of nervous to get into that and don't know how, what's your what's your advice to them, you know, to start start opening up that side? I was being too quiet, wasn't I? <laughs> we, we see how this is going to work tonight, yes. Right. Um, first of all, I think this is just kind of a gimme. Do what you feel is comfortable. I mean, if you really do feel like you want to expand on your theatrics, you want to really get into the role-play aspect, that's great. But if you don't feel like talking up at the table, don't do it. Uh, my wife plays with me, and that's not her favorite thing. She enjoys the mechanics. She loves playing a ranger that shoots arrows at things and kills them. That's what she likes to do in these role-playing games. And she's happy to sit on the sidelines, say a word or two, and that's fine. Uh, me, on the other hand, I play these games to role-play. Uh, I, I would be fine sitting down to a game table and never getting into combat at all. I still like to roll the dice, do some social interaction, and that's just me. Uh, if you're trying to expand on it, uh, you could certainly look into uh, improv in general. Um, I know that I come from a theater background. I played a lot of improv games growing up and going through school, and it helped me kind of, uh, you know, muster the chops a little bit to be able to think on the fly. Uh, and, you know, put your mind back when you were a kid and you used to play games in for me, I used to pretend to be the Doom Brothers in the woods because we loved the game Doom. And my buddy and I used to pretend to run around through the woods shooting all the creatures from the Doom games. 
just, you know, put yourself back into kind of a kid's mentality. This is pretend. You know, you're advancing a storyline. You can have more mature themes, but we're just telling a story here. Uh, and just kind of put your mind into the person that you're trying to become. Uh, I could easily go into far more advanced theatrical talk, but I think I'll leave it at that. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to get to we're going to get to advanced talk later on, most certainly. But uh, I, I just have to tell another quick story because Kevin, when you were saying that, it it reminded me of you know if I go my very first ever actual kind of role play thing was me and my brothers playing a game that we called War, which was you pointed your finger like that and went bang, you're dead, and then you had to fall down for ten seconds and then could get back up. And the first time that we actually learned like oh you could do more than a challenge type version of this is when we were playing this with a friend. You know we were little kids at this point. We were playing this with a friend, and he did an honorable sacrifice. He ran out and sacrificed himself to save us all, and we were all like, wait, there's there's more than just the strategy of avoiding bang your dead? And it turns out there was. But uh, sticking sticking on topic without my tirades, uh, Michael, what, uh, what what's your take on this? Just plain Michael, that is. <laughs> just plain, plain Michael. Uh, so if I understand the question correctly, you're talking about how to get like more involved, maybe more outgoing at the table, particularly if you're new to role-playing? Certainly. Uh, I would say start small. Uh, you know, e- even I consider myself an advanced role player, but I still do this where sometimes I'll refer to what my character does in third person, and then sometimes I will talk in first person, and I will go back and forth between them. So certainly you're going to try to emulate what's happening at your table. If you, If everyone at the table is in character all the time, you're probably going to feel more comfortable doing that because that's what everyone around is is doing. If, uh, if no one at the table is doing that, then if you try, you may feel a bit weird, but start small. Just describe the way you attack. You roll a natural 20, you know, embellish what that looks like. Um, sometimes you'll say, uh, my character is going to try to convince the guard that we're relatives. And then the next time you might say, hey, what's going on, man? I haven't seen you in a long time since the family reunion. And, you know, just kind of mix it up. Don't try to do any one thing all the time until you find out what you were most comfortable with. And again, even at this point, as long as I've been playing, I still do both. I will, and sometimes within the same scene, I'll go from talking in first person to referring to my character in third person, and I think that's fine. Okay, uh, Cinda, what, uh, what, what's your take on this? What's your advice to pe- someone that is very timid about, that wants to get into it, but is kind of timid about getting into the role play aspects? Um, one of the things I've seen work really well, um, just as a new player is if you have um, maybe a catchphrase or a specific curse or something that you can latch onto um, that helps you, you know, it's an easy thing um, to do is to be like, okay, well, I always say more than is mighty when I swing my axe or whatever. Um, Then you have something that's already beginning to kind of build a character, whether or not you ever go deeper with that character or if you just like always say that thing. It gives you something to kind of wrap the rest of your character building if you continue to build on that around. Um, it's actually, it's still the same thing that I do. If I walk into um, a convention and I sit down at a, a table at a convention and there's a bunch of characters laid out in front of me, I'm always looking for a character that I'm like, is there something, like some little thing that I can just start with a tick or a, you know, I always... Um, and super, super superstitious, so I always board the boat with my left foot first and throw salt over my shoulder or whatever it is, like looking for something that I can kind of find that immediately makes that person somewhat of a person. Um, I feel like 
if you find that thing, even in your first character, if you find something, whatever you want it to be, um, it makes it a lot easier to kind of jump into that situation when you're like, okay, well, whatever happens, I know I'm going to say this. Cool. Okay, um, so I think that that's a lot of really good advice for for how to get into the the basics of role play. Um, you know, but like we say, as we as we learn and we develop, you know, one of the things I noticed, I was really guilty for this myself, is once I started getting into a little role play in a tabletop aspect, I very much pigeonholed myself. I I played the barbarian. Might might be a shock to some people. Loved the barbarian. I was the raging human barbarian. Fantastic class, but you know, it was harder for me to kind of branch out from there. So I wonder from our panelists if you have any advice on, you know, how do I, if I, I've started playing and I really enjoy, you know, playing this type of character, but I want to try other characters, you know, sort of like uh, James in Alabama who posed the question, if I want to play a bard, what is your advice to me for learning and picking up sort of specific, um, you know, I want to play a different class, I want to play a different type of character than what I've done before. What's some advice, and let's see. You know, I haven't heard from Christopher in seemingly forever, so I'm going to pick on him. Christopher, what's your advice to someone for this? Um, my number one advice is um, usually when you want to play a specific type of character, it's because you read about that character in a book or you saw it in a TV show or movie, and you're like, I want to play this type of character. So don't be afraid, especially if, it's, uh, if you're new to role-playing, don't be afraid to base your character on somebody else. You know, if you've been, you know, the first example of a bard that pops into my head is actually um, going to sound a little weird, but Sokka from Avatar Last Airbender. Because he's not really a fighter, he's not really a mage, he's the mascot for a while, which is kind of what the bard is. So what does he do? He, he cracks jokes, he bolsters morale, he tries to be all impressive and such and usually fails at it miserably. <laughs> so grab that, that character that you're basing um, your character off of and just play it up to the nines. So just because you're doing a bard, well, I'm going off of Sokka, or if you have another show or movie or book that you're basing off of, choose like one or two aspects that you love about that character and just play those to the hilt. So, you know, bards are very inspirational, so just keep up with that whole um, inspirational talk, keeping the morale up of your party. And in D&D, bards um, cast spells, but you could totally be like, I am so charismatic that it's magical. So instead of actually casting spells, people just love what you say. So just kind of uh, choose a, a facet of the character you're playing and bring that out to the forefront. Okay, Michael L. What, uh, what what advice do you have again on on branching out of what your your typical role play is, playing other things, and bonus points if you give advice specifically for the bard? Because we're doing bo bonus points tonight. Um. Well, I've never played a bard. I, I've never really had uh, a desire to. I think. Um, but no I have, bonus you know, points for a, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. I think I rolled one up once, and I was like, "Man, it's a, it's too generic. It's got you know." But anyway, um, the organized play games that I've seen, you can play a lot of different characters because they're they're more more uh, mainly one shot games. So you can roll up a character, 
and pretty much just dump it after you, you know, play it and didn't like it. Um, another good role-playing game that I played was uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. I think I played about every character in that game because you don't have a very long um, life in that game. Uh, you don't make it very far, and you have to roll up a new character anyway. But as for Bard, I've seen a lot of guys play Bard, um, and they really get into it. Um, you have to... And, and those have been open games, you know, open public games. And, and that kind of thing is really, I think, for a home game, because they really go overboard. I've seen a guy play with a puppet. He had, you know, he, he talk, talked in third person, and the puppet talked for him and cast the spells from the puppet. And, you know, and he did he did hand movements and everything. Um, but yeah, it's a, for me, getting into getting into character and, and uh, playing something new. You just have to trust the people that you're playing with. Um, uh, it's going to take a while if you're if you're new to playing to really get into that trust. I see a lot of new players that that are very quiet, and it takes them a while to get into the rolling uh, the role playing aspect to play their character the way um, it is written on the paper. Because a lot of times it's their choices, not really they're not really role playing. They're you know it's it's kind of like um, I don't know, like a like playing a board game. You know, they're just rolling dice and they're achieving results and they're telling the DM what they want to do, but they're not really role playing. There's no, I see a lot of um, interaction, but I don't really see any role playing. So what you have to do is trust your DM, trust the other players at the table, and it's going to take a while to get into that. It may take a couple of weeks, it may take a month, but you'll eventually find your niche. You'll find how to how to do that with that character that you rolled up. Um, and you'll start to start to love the game. Okay. Um. Let me let me throw this over to Michael because Michael is the man with the worst Jamaican accent I've ever heard. So I I want to go over to him. He he's definitely a man that that has a a wide wide breadth of different characters that you've played. Uh, Michael, let me let me hear your thoughts on it. Okay. So the, yeah, there's a couple different things I wanted to touch back on this. Uh, kind of going off of what Cinda was saying is that uh, generally when I start a new character, I try to come up with one, two, or three, and no more than three things that that character is or does. And then I just lean into those really hard, and that's kind of where, and I grow from there. And if we, it's a long-term campaign and we play for levels and levels, eventually that three will become four or five, and some of the things that I started with may fall away because they weren't fun or they got old. But she mentioned, like, every time she gets on a ship, she throws salt over her shoulder, or every time she swings her hammer, she says something to Morden. That's exactly the sort of things that I like to do. I, I usually aim for more silly, and I think those are easier to do. Uh, one of my recent characters, I played a Warforged, who was very uh, into culinary arts. He was the, the camp cook during the war. Once the war was over, he just got infatuated with food. He can't taste food. He doesn't need food, but he loved food. So anytime he went anywhere, he would try to get new recipes. It was just this wood, weird little quirk about his character, but it made him unique, and then I just leaned into it, and every town we went to, I tried to find a new recipe. It was a super simple thing, uh, and the other players got used to me doing that, and it became a thing, and that kind of helped that character come alive. 
uh, for the bard specifically for James's questions, uh, I think this goes back to Christopher. Is it's an it's an ensemble character in most cases. Usually, a bard is either the face of the party or they're a support character. So in either case, an ensemble movie is the is a good representation. The Ocean's Eleven movies, uh, whether you're the main character. Uh, or you're just one of the other guys who helps the other people out. That's kind of what you're going for with the bard. Uh, musically inclined, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be an orator, you can be a poet, you can be a comedian. Uh, you're just someone that uses words to help inspire other people. And the last thing, I kind of trying to remember all the different points we got onto, uh, trying out a new character, that's what one-shots are for. You're supposed to have five people show up, two of them can't make it, don't cancel the game, just play a one-shot with three people, and everybody try something different and if it doesn't work no harm no foul and if you find a new character concept you love just hold on to it and then use it next time you start a new campaign okay wonderful um we have another question from twitter and it, it comes from Tymonger, if i'm i'm pronouncing his uh his handle correctly and what he wants to know is do you prefer and what are your thoughts on role-playing in first-person versus role-playing in third-person? Obviously, role-playing in first-person would be, I do this, I, I strike you with a sword, I, I do whatever. Third-person would be, okay, my character runs through the door. Um, and I'm going to kind of popcorn throw this out to whoever wants to jump on and grab this. What is, what's your preferred way to role-play, and, and what are the things you, you like about f first and don't like about first-person role-play, and vice versa for third-person? Who, uh, who who wants to give this one a go? And see, this is why I pick people. <laughs> Fine, Kevin. Um, Kevin, go ahead. Just jump on, just to sort of fill the void of silence here. Um, I honestly use them interchangeably while I'm playing. I've never been involved in a game that's been so honed in on the role play aspect that it's been sort of considered that there's one way we should be doing it. Uh, so there are times where I get into character, I'm speaking as my character, and I'm very much in the first-person dynamic. But then I'll switch over and be like, okay, well, so-and-so uh, is now doing this, this, that, uh, to describe actions. So I, I definitely use them interchangeably, and so far I've not seen a situation where I've really stuck with one. Okay, um, so so Kevin, you use them pretty much interchangeably. Um, Senda, let me ask you. You you've done, of course, a lot of uh, a, a lot of role play that people can go and listen to when she's a super geek. What's uh, what, what's your take on this? So much. Um, I actually find that I switch between them as well. Um, and I in trying to maybe think through a little bit more why I tend to switch when I switch. I think that what it comes down to is, um, so for something like, um, we played Soth um, with Michael and Caleb, and um, in something like Soth, it was extremely easy to always say I, because it, it almost plays out like a character interview the entire time. So there's no reason really, like very, very rarely, I think, that we ever switch to third person. Um, but what I think kind of happens is in other games sometimes you are speaking in character sometimes when you're thinking more cinematically about what's going on and you're actually describing um, a scene or something like that it can be easy to switch into third person because you're actually describing it more like a movie than like a specific individual action um, personally I don't have a problem either way and I really um, 
I really feel like whatever everybody's comfortable with is totally fine by me. Um, I, I think personally when I'm thinking about it, which I don't think about it uh, every time I'm, I'm, you know, say something, um, I, I tend to prefer I. And so I, I'm trying to go more for that. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I also think as long as everybody is comfortable with the words coming out of their mouth, it's all good. Um, I do think that a lot of times newer players tend to say everything in the third person. Um, and it, it takes a little bit more comfort and a little bit more trust to be able to say I with that understanding that everybody at the table knows you're not talking about you personally. <laughs> and once you get over that hump, it gets really easy to, to just stick first person. Uh, you know, it depends on the, the environment of the table that you're at. But that is my take on it. I think it's a comfort level, and I think that it can have something to do with what kinds of actions you're describing and what kind of game you're playing. Okay, and and as you're talking, I'm thinking about the other person on the panel that does live play podcast, and and just plain <laughs> Michael, I can't I can't remember which way you do it. So so you tell me about your take on it. Uh, again, I I agree with Cinda, and I kind of mentioned this before. I use them interchangeably as well. Uh, for me, it's about time. If you put four or five players at a table, like at a convention game, and everyone does first person, you will not get out of the first room in four hours. So there are times where you have to just sum up and go, I hastily pack my bags and hit the door so that you can move on to the next part of the adventure. When it comes to RPGs, I'm more focused on the RP than the G, but it is still a G. It is still a game, and there are certain things that I want to accomplish in each session that I get to, and if you in my mind, if you can't switch back and forth, it, it just slows the game down. And then it also adds an emphasis that when you do switch to first person, that's usually there's something really interesting and dramatic about that scene. It should be, you know, the scenes that hold a lot of weight where big important things are happening. I don't need to role play out every scene when I go to the local tavern, unless it's really important. I just want to, you know, we go into the tavern, we order some drinks, we, we gamble, and then the assassins that hack us in the middle of the night, let's get to that part. Um, you know, I don't need to interact with every single shopkeeper. If my characters go into the town to buy stuff, I want to just say, we spend four hours buying stuff, here's the things I bought, move on. Uh, just because you, I don't think you can roleplay all of it and still be an RPG. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Um, the uh, you know we we talk about all of the, the oh I guess I should I should give my little opinion because I'm 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 the only one that's not going to waver between between first and third person. So I'll, I'll give you my take. I'm a big proponent of first person. I generally at the table I'm getting into my character's headspace to the point where I want to be right in there with everything else. So I say I uh, I say I I say me I do this I do this and part of it's because the experience I'm looking for is a very personal experience at the table. So I make it a very personal experience and that's why I like the eye so I guess I like first person because it feels more personal and directed at me there's less in uh, there, there's less room in between character and player they're very married up close together um, whereas third person you know for for good or bad just depends on what you want out of the game there's more disconnect you have more room what happens to the character isn't necessarily directly happening to me um, so that's that's my take on the two um, but I'm gonna pick on Christopher 
Um, Christopher, the uh, we, we've been talking a whole bunch about uh, about role play here, and you know I think it would be a, a terrible, terrible disservice if we didn't at least hear a little bit about it. And uh, Emily, the the other co-host of She's a Super Geek, posed a question that she wants to hear, and that is, you're playing a rogue that's been backed into a corner by a pack of dire wolves. What do you do? G- give me give me the role play, sir. Alrighty, well. Because I am a sneaky, tricky, clever, whacked-out, crazy rogue, I've got this pack of dire wolves. Obviously, there's one front and center. The others are kind of fanned out around behind them. So I'm going to stare down at the alpha wolf and just stand my ground, stare at him, not blink, until the alpha wolf blinks his eyes and bows his head, and I make him... What what's the uh, the the language rating on this? If you're Dylan talking about a female wolf, I do think bitch is the proper term. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna make the the alpha my bitch, make make the alpha my beta, and then I will ride into the night with my pack of dire wolves, and we will live out our lives in in the wilderness, causing havoc, mayhem, and Maybe join a circus trope when we get old and we can't do the whole adventuring thing anymore. All right, fair enough. And if you're at my table, you're rolling a die for an intimidation check before you get with your your fanciful little uh, ride off into the sunset with your pack of dire wolves, sir. But I I appreciate being put on the spot like that. We just had one quick follow-up question from Timeunger, sort of on the topic that we we had here. Uh, And this is for whoever wants it. Are there any exercises you all do that help with roleplay? Is there anything specific that I can do? Do this thing as practice for roleplay? Does anyone have any advice in uh, in that regard? And whoever unmutes, I'm going to call on you. So, Chris, you better mute again. Uh, no, let's let's shoot over to Senda. Uh, Senda, what, uh, what what do you have? Um, and this is actually I I'm apparently not the only person sitting here who has a little bit of a background in theater. Um, I, I I was a theater major in college, but not an actor. Um, the things that tend to help with role-playing are the same things that tend to help with improv. So if you sit down at a table and you have, um, you know, with your standard group or whatever, and you have a couple of minutes that you can spend doing even some of the really simple improv games, like um, counting uh, from 1 to 10, and you have to do it in order, but, like, nobody knows who's going to say the next number. If you both say them at the same time or someone says the wrong number, you have to start over. Um, Those kind of really simple games that help turn on the group think uh, make a really big difference. Um, that's not something I get to implement because it's really hard to do a lot of that stuff over the internet, um, which is a bummer. But, uh, you know, it, it is really fun to just kind of get everybody's brains on the same page before you start. Um, and I know that that's much more of a group recommendation than necessarily an individual, but, um, it, and maybe this is just how I kind of work personally, but, um, For me, I feel much more comfortable role-playing with a bunch of people um, that I trust, obviously. We've already discussed trust a a bunch. And so um, setting up the the table as a group-think situation um, before you get into the game means that uh, you're already in a trust situation, and and it's just easier to just jump in with both feet um, and go. Uh, There's lots of really, like, you can search the internet. There's lots of really short, simple improv games that are basically about, you know, getting on the same page and doing group thing stuff. Um, and, and, uh, And I think that those are really helpful. 
Uh, Kevin, what uh, what do you think? Do you have any uh, any, any uh, activities, any games that, that you recommend to help with the improv? Or I should so, say help with the role play? So all of my, my improv training, I was fortunate I did that in high school and college. So I, I've got that background. But something I kind of do currently, and this is, man, this is going to sound really nerdy, but, you know, I guess we all are. I sp- anytime I'm driving somewhere and I know that I've got a character that I'm working on, you know that thing you do when you remember the things you should have said to someone and you sit in your car and you just role-play it to yourself? Well, I do that with characters for Dungeons & Dragons. I do that for townsfolk that I'm working on to use in my games when I'm the GM. Um, And I just think of different catchphrases my characters might say. I try out different voices. You know, driving in the car is my alone time sometimes and not that I don't do that in front of my family as well but uh, it's a great place to just you know work on being ridiculous I mean you sing at the top of your voice anyway when you're driving might as well work on a few characters too yeah, and, and now I'm having embarrassing moments of doing that. Yeah, riding down the street, uh, singing my heart out to a little bit of Kesha or some Lady Gaga and just uh, enjoying myself. And we, my, I put myself out a little too much here. Uh, no, it's uh, all all great, great, wonderful advice. So um, the next question I want to get to is, you know, this is, you know, g- given me, you know, as as the, the, the new player, you know, stand in, uh, you know, this is giving me a lot of good information. I get into it. I do some of these exercises. You know, I, I do my role play in the car. I bring it to the table, um, you know, and I'm enjoying it, uh, and I'm having a great time, but what I notice is I'm not as connected with perhaps maybe some of the other members, other players at the table. Um, what I want to know from the panel is what advice would you give to, you know, help me connect more with the other players at the table? What is maybe some advice you could give me for, you know, backgrounds of characters, how to get player tie-in, how to do a little bit more with the rest of the group and, and help me feel, you know, the social aspect as well as the role play? So I'm going to go to Michael L. for this. What, uh, what, what do you have on advice for me on this? Well, when you're putting the campaign together, the DM does a lot of work. He does a ton of work. And so he's going to give some basic uh, elements of the world that you're in. But you need to tie that in with everyone else at the table. Um, if you're if you're new, I guess we shouldn't really – I keep going back to if you're new, that's something you're not going to be ready for. But if But if you've been playing for a while – then you're going to have to sit some set some time aside and sit down together to to figure out those backgrounds. How does my character relate to all these other characters? How are we thrown together into this into this fantasy world or any other type of role playing game? Um, did you all come from the same village? Did you all answer the call for um, adventurers? Is there some calamity that happened? You're going to have to sit down and, and take some time to figure that out instead of just playing the game. But that is part of the game. Because once you you put those ties together, it makes for a better game. You start to care about your character more, and you start to care about your friends, because that's what's going to happen. Um, but that's not to say that everyone has to be friends at the table either. Some of that background could be negative, and um, you can role-play that.
Okay. Um. What about uh, Michael? Michael, what, uh, what what what's your take on this as far as backgrounds? You know, what advice do you have for for helping me get more involved with the players at the table? So that's one of the things that I I see a lot on Reddit and and other forums that I'm on where people talk about backgrounds for their characters and and I'm I think I'm sort of in the minority here that I see a lot of talk about you know I wish my players would write these extravagant backgrounds and they would come to the table with a fully fleshed character. I don't really want them to do that. It's kind of like, you know, canon in a setting that I now have to abide by. I want your background to be very loose, like outlines and bullet points. You know, you were a hero of a village, but everyone died, and now you're the last survivor. Okay, I don't need to know who attacked it, what race, was there a main bad guy. I will help create that in the game, and, you know, maybe there's a villain I'm already working on, and we'll just make that the same villain. So if you don't get too detailed in your background, you actually make it easier to connect yourself to the world. Uh, you know, if you write this too detailed background, you know, unless I am beholden to that, which makes it difficult if everyone does it, yeah, I just think it makes it harder. So for me, I don't want a detailed background. I want an outline of background. And then to mirror what Michael was saying, absolutely, you need to have connections to other players at the table. So it's, we're assuming here that we're starting a new game everybody's coming to the table is starting together. You know, you may have more experienced players and less experienced, but we're starting a new game together. I'm a big proponent of session zero. I want all the players, uh, or, yeah, all the players at the table making their characters at the same time. And while we're building characters, we're also building connections. Some of them can be positive. We're brothers. Some of them could be negative. We used to be rivals uh, in the military high school football team or whatever. Uh, you know, I also I don't like lone wolves. You know I think that's very traditional. When you start D and D, particularly if you're a younger male, everyone wants to be Wolverine. You want to be the cool loner outsider. Those characters suck when you're trying to play a party game. You need to have reasons to hang out. I know they did it in the movies and the cartoons, but that's just because Wolverine was the most popular X Men, so they forced him in there. Wolverine would not be dealing with these kids. He would have left and went somewhere else. So don't play Wolverine. End of rant. <laughs> Don't play Wolverine. End of rant. Senda, uh, let me let me throw it back to you. Uh, what uh, what what's your take on it? What advice do you have? Well, it's just one little like side note, which is uh, one of the things that you can do is you can play a different game that encourages and builds background at the table for you. Um, so some that just fly to my mind would be something like Dungeon World, where uh, before you actually start playing, you make your character and then you specifically end up with these connections. You have to connect your character to the other characters at the table, and that's mechanical. Um, so there's, you know, there's no two ways around it. You don't have a choice. Everybody's connected. Um, or something like, uh, and, and Jim, I know that you know that I love this game, and I have to say it, something like Headspace, um, where, again, you, you have to build that backstory together. Um, and actually, you know, the in recent years, year, I don't know how long it's been, but um, one of my favorite parts of starting a new game has become sitting down at the table as a group and creating that group backstory because it creates such an amazing dynamic. And I don't always get to do it because I'm doing one-shots, but I love games that incorporate it into the game itself. Um, so it's just a, you know, something else to, to throw out there because... Um, one, you know, one way around it is to say, okay, well, why don't we play a game that does that for us, makes it happen. And then it's there mechanically, and the game supports it mechanically on top of it being really cool and really fun to world build together as a group. That's my take. My two cents. 
All right. Well, let's let's move on to our next question, and this comes from the Q and A here in the, uh, the the Google Hangouts. And again, anyone listening to it, I encourage you to post questions here, as as clearly we will get to them. And this comes from Rob Stith, and he says, "Any tips on actively helping the other players shine and enjoy the game? It can't just be the GM's job after all." So, going out to the panel, and uh, I think I'm going to start with Christopher on this one. What advice do you have to you know? Uh, to, to help me, if I understand as a player, you know, this other player doesn't seem to be enjoying themselves as much, doesn't seem to have as much spotlight on it. What can I do as a player? What what advice do you have to try and you know spread the love around the table? Um, the actually, ironically enough, the first um, piece of advice I'd have is make sure they want that attention because sometimes um, players don't. You know, they're, they're not as outgoing, they're not as social, they're here to have fun, and being the quiet person in the corner is fun. I had a, uh, my roommate in college was one of those players, and he loved not being the center of attention. But assuming the players that you're talking about are not having a good time and they want to um, be more in the spotlight, but don't maybe know quite how to do it or whatnot, um, so I guess long story short, my biggest piece of advice is to um, interact with them more in a scene. Like if you're the central character of a scene, be like, um, I think blah, 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 um, quiet character, do you concur? You know, br- bring them in and kind of uh, draw them out a little bit, especially if, like Michael said, you guys did that session zero, you had a background, so you guys have connections, um, lean on those. Or maybe um, if you're playing a game like Fate where you get uh, mechanical incentives for screwing your character over, normally you're the face character who talks to everybody, but you take a compel that, that you um, ate something you shouldn't and now you have numb tongue and you can't talk right. So instead of trying to tell everyone how you can't talk, you just say, hey, quiet character, I want you to talk for us. Hmm. I, uh, I I like that. I like that. Uh, let's go over to Kevin. Kevin, what's uh, what, what's your take on this? What advice do you have? One thing that uh, I got tired of after playing games for a long time was being the guy that's good at everything. Uh, and some, you know, when you first start with these types of games, that's that's sometimes what you want to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Kind of goes back to Michael's thing about everyone wants to be Wolverine, though. Um, you know, I it got to a point where I started being just fine being a guy who's kind of a screw-up all the time and being fine with other people saving me. I mean, when these games first started, I mean, back when Dungeons & Dragons was first beginning, you rolled randomly for your attributes, and sometimes you were just a dud, you know? And that could be really interesting. Uh, just last night, I was in a game with Rob, that he was running, um, and my character, based on his background that Rob gave me, I made him this naive kid who barely had control of his abilities, was just along for the ride, like had to put his trust completely in the other two guys who were more seasoned, and, you know, I ended up having some shining moments, but, you know, I sat there and had one of the other characters practically tell my guy to suck it up and move along most of the game. And that was fun as well. 
letting other people be the ones who were good at everything while I just kind of sat back a little bit and let them have a bit of the uh, spotlight. And you'll get your own spotlight that way, too. Okay. Um, Senda, I've I've actively actually seen you do this at games that I've played with you, so uh, let's let's get your take on it. Which game? Now I have to ask you. Uh, well, I've, I've got to go with head, Headspace, headspace. Right? <laughs> We played two games together, and they've both been Headspace. Um, <laughs> yeah, you sidetracked me, and now I can't remember exactly what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I think, so to tag on to what, what Kevin was saying, because I do I agree with everything that Christopher and Kevin had said so far, um, my experience with this has been, and, and this works with new players and with old players, is if you can, even if it's in the game, even if you didn't do a session zero and you're not playing a game that has a background builder or anything like that, if you can immediately build a relationship with that person, um, who's quiet, and uh, of course, given that they, you know, that that's that they do want to be more involved. Um, but if you can build a character relationship with that person, and especially one that that kind of maybe puts them uh, in a more of a leadership role, um, that can be very very fun, and it puts them in a position to gain the spotlight, even when you're acting together, and you can sort of lead the way and still give them the spotlight. Um, which I think is very cool, and it's a, it's it's something that as as an experienced player, you know, it's it's sort of our almost our responsibility to create spotlight moments for other less experienced players to be a player enabler because that's how you you know advocate RPGs and get more people to play these games because that's our goal, right? Um, so I do find that. Um, relationships are key, and sometimes that relationship is just like, oh, I'm going to hand this off to you, and sometimes that relationship is, um, I've built this really cool character, you've built this really cool character, your cool character is, like, royalty or whatever, so I've just decided that my awesome character is kick-ass at everything, but you're in charge of her, like, she specifically serves you, and so she has to run everything by you all the time and do exactly what you say, or whatever it is, you know, so you can set up all sorts of um, I mean, that's sort of a maybe an extreme example, but you can set up a lot of power dynamics that give that person more power play and more control at the table, um, and also gives them sort of a reason to speak up, right? A reason to pull the and lots of opportunities for you to hand them the spotlight instead of even, um, you know, pushing it over there or whatever, but to specifically in character just shine it on over. Um, yeah, that's my feeling on it. So that's relationships, character relationships. You should play a game that has backgrounds like Dungeon World. <laughs> it makes it easier. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to ignore your advice and I'm going to go over to just plain Michael and go if I want to if I want a game to to tie it in together because of course I have to go L5R clearly send a uh, that that we we don't have our wonderful mm-hmm. mechanical tie-ins. Oh, you did not just boo. All right, so Senda's done with the podcast. It was nice seeing you, Senda. Uh, but no, uh, j- just played Michael. What, um, what, uh, what, what, what's your advice? What's your, what's your take on this? Uh, so a couple of things. One, I want to give a little shout-out to Jared. He's one of the, uh, the faculty at the RPG Academy. He hasn't been on the show a whole lot. There's a couple episodes with him. But he's probably the best I've ever played with at being the guy who needs someone else to guide him. He has no ego with his characters, and he will gladly play the Jerry Lewis, uh, or the sorry, the Dean Martin to the Jerry Lewis, so that you 
you know, you get the moments you need because he's setting you up for them. Um, and I, I just love the fact that he will do that. And that's kind of advice for a GM. I, I've seen this before and I've probably done it myself where you get attached to your, your, you know, your NPCs who are important and you don't like them to be made fools of. So you get into an interaction with a PC and they do something that makes your NPC that you love look dumb or make them look stupid and you, you kind of resist that. But that's, that can be the fun of the game. So as a player, build a character. I think I'm, I'm shadowing what some other people have said. Build a character that you know needs that type of thing. They're really dumb. Uh, maybe they're really arrogant. There's something about them that keeps putting them in situations where another person has to kind of come in and, and be their savior and get the moment uh, of helping. I will say that it's helpful. It's easier to do this if everyone has built a good character and you know these things. If I know that Cinda's character always throws salt over her shoulder when she gets onto a boat, then it's easy for me to be right behind her and go pff, 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 every time she gets on a boat because it's funny. You know, if I know that uh, my, my Warforge always likes to get um, new recipes in town, then another character can get involved in that with me. Maybe give me a bad one because it'll be funny. So I make this meal that's just terrible and, you know, it becomes a thing. Uh, so building a character that needs some help and is not afraid of being the fool so that someone else can be the knight in shining armor for them, I think is very important. And it's fun. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm going to tell a, a little story uh, that came from um, actually the, the Mystics, this little little event that happened up in Chicago. Um, that It was the best example I've personally ever witnessed uh, that was at the table that I was at, and it wasn't me. Uh, surprise, surprise on that. And we had a character that played, he was going to be, he said it right up, he goes, I'm going to be the group leader. Straight up. But he goes, here's my thing. I'm not actually good at anything. I'm just a cheerleader for all of you, and I think every one of you is the chosen one. So he was just constantly going, yes, you can do this. You're awesome. Go run and take care of those traps. I'll be back here, but you go run and take care of that. And he was just the most over-the-top optimistic and made everyone feel like a million bucks while him still having character because he was actually this like cowardly little leader. Um, so that was a, a wonderful story that uh, that, that I saw um, you know, on uh, I, I actually got a witness, and it worked very well to sort of share the spotlight around. Um, but we've got another question, and this one's going to be directed to, to Michael L. first. Um, and this is from Richard here in our Q&A. And Richard says, I have a lot of young players in my game, and they are used to playing on rails due to their video game history. How do I get them to make their own decisions rather than waiting for me to present them a choose-your-own-adventure style campaign? So what advice do you have for that for players? And, and again, it could be young players. It could even be a lot of experienced players can run into this too of they're used to either the way they play tabletop or with the way they interact with other games. They're used to be giving you go this way and you have to make these set of choices. How do you get them to open up and role play more? So, so you mean like... Um... So just a railroad campaign is what I'm thinking you just said. It's like there, there's only a single choice to be made. Yeah, and for, for players that if, – if you have a group of players that are used to being put on that railroad but you, and they almost actively play like they're expecting to be put on a railroad, what, what's some advice you give to, to encourage them to role play in a way that they're no longer on that railroad? Yeah. So I, 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 I play with a lot of younger players, so – I can understand that. I have some players that they just they they see a situation and they and they 
think there's only one solution. So what I have done is um, let that happen for a little bit. I, I, I want them to get comfortable with the game. And so once they get comfortable with the game, um, they start to get into their characters. Then I start to present some choices. And um, I present it in a way that either one is just as good as the other one. Um, and so once they choose that, then, I mean, I've, I've sat at the table for an hour while they discuss it. Should we go this way, deeper into the Underdark? Or should we go up topside because we're really sick of this Underdark? But we were told to go do this, but we really want to go up. And, you know, to see that role-playing happen, just the, the guys talking for an hour, I was like, wow, this guy got an hour to make a simple choice. Um, was well, was great because you know they they are new players. Role playing is new to them. Some of them have played a lot longer than others. Um, so they do become the voice of the party. And so what you do is you try to take it away from the voice of the party and, and move and into the direction choices for the other players so they can role play their characters. So what you do, you know, they have two choices. Well, then you start to present three choices that are equally, you know, but they don't know if it's going to take them down a certain path that's going to come to ruin. Um, they can start to see how their choices start to affect, you know, if they if they go up or they go down or go left or right. These choices start to affect the whole game. So you have to have a, a game master that can that can remember their choices and and use those choices. Um, constructively, and so if they go up, is it, it? Did they finish their quests going down to the Underdark, or they they get a new quest up topside, and and some of their inaction can also lead to some of those, you know, because an inaction is the same as a choice. So what I would do is is to do that. Start to you start to give them small, inconsequential choices. But actually, they start to realize actually these choices matter to their whole world because there are heroes in the world. You want to promote heroes in a in a world for them. I really like that. I like the the building up, give them little small choices, and then then build you know bigger and bigger and bigger and, and show them the consequences of them. Uh, Kevin, uh, what 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 do you have for for Rich? Again, he's got got a group of young players. They're used to being on the rails due to video games. He wants to to, to help them sort of expand. Kevin, what do you have for him? Well, anyone who's spent any amount of time on my blog knows that running games for young players, introducing them to RPGs, is kind of a thing for me. So in the last two years, I've had a lot of experience with this. And he's right. Uh, a lot of these kids, they only have a video game background. They're used to having the the, uh, the game make the decisions for them, and by proxy, the, gen the GM. Uh, and one of the tricks that I have used to sort of get them to making their own decisions is, you know that point when you're running games for players when they ask you if they can do something? Uh, can I jump on the table and jump off the table and stab the orc in the eye? I've gotten to the point where I tell them to stop asking me if they can do something and start telling me what their character's doing and I will let them know how that's handled. And that's that's something that's very that happens a lot in combat, but it sort of starts laying the groundwork 
for having them kind of making their character their own and their character's actions their own. And then that translates well, once they get into the more social interactions part, to start making more decisions. And the players I have now, now I've got nine kids that routinely show up, and we've had to add an extra hour onto our library game because they are now making some of the craziest decisions, and I love them. The, in one of my, I'll make this story quick, but in one of my games, they were trying to get rid of some kobolds that were in a dwarven mining company's quarry. And when they got down there, they realized that they spoke draconian and the kobolds spoke draconian, and they even had a dragon born in the party. And they remembered that kobolds revere dragons, and they wanted to talk the kobolds out of the quarry rather than just killing them because they were like, well, this was the kobolds' home, and the dwarves dug too deep, uh, Lord of the Ring joke, and they disturbed these kobolds. It's not fair for us to just kill them all. I had no idea they were going to do something like that, and I loved it. And You know, it, just small changes over time will eventually get them to the point where they're kind of making those decisions. Um, all right, wonderful. Michael, I've uh, I've been at your game table, and they essentially all act like children, myself included, so I'll, I'll take it. What's your, uh, what's your stab at this? Well, and just quickly, I agree with what everyone else has said. Uh, I, would, I would call that forking options. You know, you, you give them two or three different options that, that may all lead to the same place, but it also allows them to make different choices. Uh, but as the DM, which, and again, this, we're trying to focus more on the players, so I'll try to wrap that around. But as the DM, I like to try to summarize those options and then sometimes give them a couple more and say, well, you talk to the Duke, he wants you to go in the forest, but you talk to the old woman, she said you shouldn't go in the forest, and then there's the rumor in the, the town that if you go in the forest, you'll be cursed. So what do you guys want to do? And I, I try to set up a couple different options so that they um, they see that there are other options, and I may even throw in a couple of my own. But what I would try to say is if the players have built good stories, background hooks, then you try to tie that back to them. And for the player side create good story hooks so that you can say, you know, I grew up in the forest, so of course I'll go into the forest, even though the railroad is that we don't because you go cursed, I grew up in the forest so that I will. Um, but you try to, you know, you say, you guys don't want to go into the forest because you're going to be cursed, but Cinda, you know, you were raised by druids, so how do you feel about that? And, you know, Michael, uh, you grew up in the city, you don't want to go in the forest at all for any reason, so how do you feel about that? And I'll try to try to kind of work it that way, so they start talking in character or at least through their characters as they're making these decisions. And going back to like what Michael said as well, I've had tables that will talk for two hours about nothing, and then we basically that's the end of the game. Uh, yes, I I very very much know that feeling, and sometimes those two hour talking ones end up productive, and sometimes they don't. But uh... sometimes they're amazing. But then again, like I said, going back to one of my earlier points, if you only got four hours, you can't do everything in first person because it just won't work. But absolutely, you try to encourage that. But from the player standpoint, you need to be attached to the world so that you have a vested interest, and you're going to direct your actions. Even if it's even if it is railroady, and you you take the one option in front of you, your character has motivation to do so. Other than it's the plot we need to follow. 
Okay. Um. Well, let's let's ask another question because we have, you know, now again, I'm I'm we're, we're following the career that is me as a person who just started playing for his first time, and now you've given me advice. I've 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 been playing for about six months now, and I'm having a great time, having a great group dynamic. Everything's going wonderful. And it's great, but I finally hit a problem. And that problem is I have a fellow player at my game table that our play styles are not meshing well together. Um, let's say there's a situation where, you know, you I, I've done all this wonderful advice and I've got into doing role-playing and I'm really enjoying that, um, but there's a fellow player at the table who is very much a min-maxer. They're very much a power gamer. Everything is about how I can, how they can optimize their character, how they can optimize everything they do and successfully, you know, do combat correctly or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm going to pick on Christopher for this one. Um, what's your advice, again, as as a player with another player that is causing an issue that's starting to have some impact on the fun I'm having at the table. And, and again, whether it's the scenario I put out or any other scenario, how as a player do you handle that type of situation? Um, the best way to handle that situation, in my opinion, is to be an adult about it. You know, don't be all passive-aggressive and do things in-game to um, you know, quote-unquote punish the other player, but Talk to them. Be like, hey, we're doing this thing. We're having a lot of fun. But the thing you're doing is taking away from my fun. Is there something that we can do to bridge the gap? Maybe, you know, if they're the, the min-max or the power gamer, they know the system in and out, they can teach you the ropes so you can be as effective as the rest of the players in, in the, the combat scenes, if that's the thing. Um or perhaps it's just something the rest of the group has just put up with because that's the dynamic they had. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen unless you talk to them. And, you know, this whole role-playing thing is about um, shared experiences. It's about having fun together. And if, like, like the RPG Academy tagline, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So if you're not having fun, then somebody's doing something wrong and something needs to change. So my advice is talk to them and work it out. If you can't work it out, maybe it's time to find another group, start your own group, or maybe you know meet with the rest of the t with the rest of the players on a different night and play a different game. So he's not being excluded from the gaming in general, but just you know, there's always an option and a way around every um, obstacle in your path. All right, really, really good advice from Christopher. Um, just plain, Michael, what, uh, what what do you have on it? I would agree with what Christopher said, that talking out of character is the best way to handle that. Don't be passive-aggressive in the game. Don't punish the players. That's, that's terrible. Uh, the thing I wanted to say, though, is that there is no wrong way to play. If you are a min-maxer, that's perfectly fine. If you're a theater major role player, that's perfectly fine. But there are incompatible play styles. And a lot of times the issues that I see is that you're a group of friends who play D&D together. And if one of the players has an incompatible play style, it's weird to say, well, we're all friends and we all don't play this game, but we're going to not ask Sin to come play because we don't like the way she plays with our group. And that can be an uncomfortable conversation. But role-playing games are fun. If you're not having fun, there is a problem, like Christopher was saying, and it could be that incompatible play style. So just have that conversation and say, 
that's not the type of game we're playing. You know, we either need you to come on board with us or we're going to play without you. We'll do other things with you. We're still friends, but don't have a bad game because you have a player that's that's bringing everybody down. Because honestly, no game in my mind is better than a bad game because that's how campaigns die and how people quit playing. And then you'll go 10 years without playing and finally somebody picks it back up. They're like, hey, why did we ever quit this? Oh, that's right, Cassinda. Um, she ruins everything. That, that that's actually the motto of talking tabletop. Send us. She ruins everything. No, no, I just kid. I, I clearly kid. Do I get a nickel now every time you say that? <laughs> but uh, but but speaking of send us, and I hear you have a story on on specifically just this topic. Right, I do actually, and I was a player in this game, and it was another player, um, and it was an interesting situation. It was uh, it was before my long gap in role-playing and probably caused it um, or was one of the contributing factors. Um, and I was playing uh, I was playing in a game. Uh, I like to... This isn't really how I play anymore, so it's weird for me to say that. Um, I have historically been very attached to the rogue character class because um, I am less interested in being awesome at combat all the time and way more interested in being really good at lots of skills. And that's always how I had enjoyed um, playing D&D and the basic D20 system kind of stuff. Um, and I ended up in a group with another gentleman um, who was... Uh, he played a monk. And somehow... He ended up playing a monk that was better at all of the rogue things than my rogue was. Um, and it was extremely frustrating because he was also amazing at combat. Um, so basically in the end it was kind of like the monk does everything and then there's these other people who follow him around. Um, and it, it's, So it was an interesting situation that I tried to approach in a very adult way um, in terms of I went to the GM and I said, hey, I have a problem with this. My problem is not with the player. He's a fantastic guy. I really like him. We asked him to play with us because we like him. Um, I have a problem with this character because it's making the game not fun for me. Um, and uh, and unfortunately, in that particular scenario, um, the the it, it didn't. Nothing really changed or happened. Um, and, and that was just, you know, social stuff is hard, right? <laughs> like, even if we're all being adults, social stuff is hard. Um, and that's one of those hard situations in which you have a friend, and that friend is ruining fun for someone else or for multiple other people, um, and nobody really wants to stand up and say, hey, you're playing this character that's kind of messing it up for everybody else. Um, what I ended up doing in that particular scenario, because I didn't want to give up that game, it was the only thing I had going on at the time, is that I actually went to the DM instead, and, and after having tried to kind of deal with it in an adult way multiple times, like, nothing really happened, went back to the DM and said, look, I want to change my character background so that I have something that I feel like I'm doing while he's doing everything. Um, and what I ended up actually doing was talking through a major character background change so that my character ended up with a secret. So um, so I was wandering around, and I had started as an elf, I want to say, um, and I ended up um, switching, like, creating this character background who was like, fine, you can do whatever as long as you can justify for me, like, how this works. So I ended up turning her into a kitsune with this huge secret where she didn't want anyone to know, and it fixed the game for me personally just because I had something to do 
while he was doing all the things. Because he was doing all the things. So this is a personal story in that um, it is a way to go about fixing it because a lot of times the reason we have problems with um, character interactions and that sort of thing is because of the way the spotlight flipping works. Um, and when people aren't sharing the spotlight, it can be frustrating. Um, and I'm usually the kind of person who's shoving the spotlight at other people, but, you know, <laughs> rah, still happens, right? Still, you got to share it. Um, but so, you know, my first reaction in that kind of situation when it's a, a you know, multiple players may have a problem with, with uh, one person's character is to go to the GM as the person in charge of that game who can go to that person and say, look, I feel like the way that your stats worked out or whatever it is, you're dominating all of the play. Is there something that we can adjust? Because I think that that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty easy conversation for your GM to have with a player. Um, and then failing that, less functional, but, you know, you try to find the ways that you can fix the game for yourself without affecting other people's fun. So trying to find the ways that you can get your fun back without messing it up for other people um, is, uh, yeah, is another way to go about it if, if you're not making progress through other things. Otherwise, um, you know, that game ended up fizzling um, because it is what it is in life. And, uh, and then you go on and you find different people to play with. And, you know, so it goes. <laughs> and you find, you find your Emily. That's who you find, your Emily. And then everything is good. You start a podcast. <laughs> okay, so to summarize Cinda's advice, if you have a problem as a player, start a podcast. I got you. <laughs> the, the, um, Isn't that uh, what you did? The, well, hey, I said it was the advice. I didn't condemn it at all. Come on now. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to put... Uh, to be fair, you also found an Emily. <laughs> I did find an Emily. Ooh, you that's did, true. and you started a podcast, so obviously it's all fixed. That is oddly specific advice that I followed. Very oddly specific advice. Um, How did you know? <laughs> but trying, trying some semblance to get back on track here. The, um, the, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's late night at this point. Yeah, it's, it's we're, we're completely off the rails. One of, the, one of the best advices that I was ever taught about dealing with, with, with social, um, I'm gonna say in, interpersonal conflict, not social conflict, because that's a game thing. But when I have an issue with someone at the table, there's it comes down to there's three things you can do about it. You can ignore it, you can address it, or you can avoid it. And from a tabletop experience, what one of the things that I look at is how big of an issue is it to me? Is it a small enough issue that I can just tolerate it? Is it a big enough issue that I have to avoid it? Which generally for tabletop experience, that means you're not going to be part of the game. Or is it an intermediate issue and I need to address it? And I think, Senda, you gave a, a wonderful, you know, sort of thing of, you know, here's here's how to address it. And hopefully it comes, you know, it, it, it comes well. Um, one of the other questions I want to ask is, okay, so as a player, again, I've been playing now a long time. Uh, but I've been playing, let's just say, the same system. Let's just say L5R. I've been playing L5R forever. And because I'm a bad person, I've gotten tired of it. And I'm looking to, to expand outward because I'm no longer having fun with L5R. Again, this is obviously a hypothetical situation. 
what advice would you give as someone who wants to to start expanding out into, and I'm going to sort of popcorn this up to whoever wants to unmute themselves, what advice would you give to someone who's going to start branching out because they're not having as much fun as they were before and thinks perhaps maybe changing the system is the way to go? Christopher, what do you have on this one? Well, um, since you've obviously found your Emily and started a podcast... Um, you've met other people in, in who play different games. So you approach another friend, you're like, hey, I hear you play this D&D thing. I've never done it. I've been playing L5R for the past six years. I hear it's similar-ish, but different. Mind if I play with you guys? Or approach your group and be like, hey, we've been playing this for so long. Let's try something else. And like, but I don't want to run anything else. Maybe it's time to try GMing for a while instead of playing. So do the, you know, bring it up to your group. Like you said, um, you know, address the issue because your issue is that you have, that you're not having as much fun as you used to. And be like, hey, let's try something else. And most game groups are willing to try something new. If not, there's this wonderful thing called the internet. You can find people who also want to play the same game that you're looking at trying. And, you know, maybe they're local. Maybe you have to do, um, like, a Skype or Google Hangouts or something like that. And you'll find someone you will, is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it, it, it's true. I mean, the, the wonderful thing about the Internet is we didn't have to all be in one room in clearly Cincinnati, Ohio, because me and Michael would take precedent on this. We didn't have to go through all of the, the wonderful expense to fly you all in to make this panel. We have the Internet. There is, you know, Roll20. There are G+. There are communities out there where you can meet people. Um, Michael, uh, let me let me get your thoughts on this. What, uh, what, what, what do you think you have? Uh, but again, just very quickly, what Christopher was saying, you know, there's all kinds of groups online that you can meet with. I'm also a member of a bunch of different actual meetups, yeah, the website meetup. There's a bunch of different gaming ones around me. And like every week, there's a different like one shot that, you know, I get the automatic invite to. Uh, if you have a local game store, often they will run uh, games there. Sometimes the organized play like D&D and Pathfinder, but also sometimes people will just run games there that you can pick up. And then the last thing I would say is, I don't know, maybe go to a convention, uh, you know, maybe a small one that's really focused on role-playing games. A uh, couple come to mind. Uh, but that is actually a great way, Gen Con, Origins, and Akatacon and others, uh, to get experience to a whole bunch of different games at one time. Over one weekend, you could play 10 times and play 10 different games uh, as well as get a whole bunch of uh, different experience with their play styles and their systems, and it's just a great time all the way around. Okay, and uh, other Michael, Michael L., uh, you, you said that uh, you, you, you've got some thoughts on this as well. Um, for me, I think you just need to, after you start getting into the game, um, you start to learn, you should branch out, play with other people, uh, experience as much as you can, but the other thing is to um, get into the spirit of the game. Contribute. You can contribute a lot of different ways. Just get into the blogs um, is a good way. Uh, go on Reddit, uh, Facebook or Twitter or Google+. Um, do some homebrew stuff. Put your ideas out there. Ask questions. Just be part of the community and be vocal. Um, it doesn't take a lot because... We're <laughs> we are very strange and nerdy, and um, but we're very friendly, 
and we like people, and uh, we're a role-playing game. It's so funny because um, the the public perception of the nerdy guys is that we don't talk and we are loners, but then we play role-playing games, and which is, which really needs a lot of interaction and talking. So, what I would say is to go and become part of the community and contribute. And and become a master player, just just be better. There we go, and I hit the unmute button that time. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think fan, fantastic advice, Michael. Fantastic advice. Um, so the the last question, which we're going to go through everyone here on the panel for this, that I want to ask is: We've given a lot of great advice to to players, sort of. I'm going to say be, beginning and intermediate level advice, but uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't give a little advanced advice. So we're going to I'm, I'm going to test out our, our esteemed panel here. And what I want to know is now now I have grown up in the RPG world. I have been playing for five years. Uh, you know, I think I know it all. I think I'm I'm having a good time. Not gonna say know it all, but I'm I'm having a real good time playing. What's your 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 one top level piece of advice for someone who is a more experienced player to go, okay, this is my my you know this is something perhaps you've never thought about. This is something you know a higher higher level concept or maybe a basic level concept that you think most experienced players miss. What's your one big piece of advice to an experienced player of how they can do whatever, be a better player, get into character more, whatever the case may be? And uh, I'm actually going to start on the end with Christopher just because I feel I haven't picked on him enough yet. So we're going to start with him and then we're going to go through the whole panel. Christopher, what's your what's your one piece of advice? My one piece of advice would be journal in character. Because when you're at the table, you're thinking about what your character is doing right then, right there. You know, sometimes you get in the player's or in your character's head and you're like, okay, this is why they're making these decisions. But there's a lot that's happening to characters in between sessions. So, you know, like one, two, maybe three paragraphs about, um, about what your character's, either uh, your character's reaction to the last adventure or something completely unrelated, but just something that your character would be like, oh, yeah, my character would totally be interested in uh, ornithology. So I'm going to, you know, talk about how it was so interesting when they encountered that crazy bird monster and you wanted to learn more about it. Just getting more in your character's head out of the table, you know, when you're not at the table playing, will help you when you get to the table to um, better understand your character's motivations, passions, fears even. You know, just the, the basic psychology of your character will be broadened so much if you have just a little bit of um, downtime journaling from their perspective. Okay, I I like that. I like that. Let's let's move on to Kevin. Kevin, what's uh, your one big piece of advice? I think the one big thing that I would say is if you're comfortable with it, play something that is dynamically different from yourself. Uh, just a lot of people like to use playing in these games as sort of an escapist thing. So just really go for it. Um, try, move out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, I actually wrote something in the blog a long time ago about the Myers-Briggs uh, personality test and how you can use it as a GM or a player to really change up your game. 
And while I was writing that, I really got the idea. It's like, you know, if you are sort of an introverted person, try playing an extrovert in the game. And it might even help you a little bit in life to... And not that being an introvert is wrong or bad in any way, shape, or form, but it might help you be more comfortable in social situations because you've actually practiced by pretending to be another person as a, just a loud, braggadocious person who's comfortable in every social situation. And I mean, this, this is something I'm saying for experienced players who really just want to try something new to shake things up. And if you're just always playing the extroverted leader of the pack, the man with the plan... Try being a background character for a little while. Try being the wizard who's got his nose in the book the whole time and has to be roused from his study before he'll even speak to the rest of the group. Just shake it up a little bit. I like it. I like it. Shake it up. Shake it up. Michael L., what, uh, what's your advice? What's your, what's your one big piece? Uh, my one big piece is to um, find some other new players. Bring some people into the hobby. That's really the the best way to grow the hobby, to make sure your game stays alive with new content, um, that the writers keep writing and the games keep coming out. Um, bring some friends, find some new people, uh, grow the hobby. Um, because you've been playing a while, and you had to start out somewhere. And, I'm, and I am still bringing new people in. I'm still expanding. It, it just... That's the only way we're going to grow this. Um, there are podcasts, great podcasts, and that's uh, a lot of ways I learn how to play new games um, is just listening to people play. Um, you can bring people. They don't have to, you know, some new players aren't comfortable playing. Um, they've never played before. It's kind of intimidating because I grew up in a, in a time period where there's a big stigma being, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I grew up in the 70s, and that's when I started playing. So you got to get over, you know, for me, it's kind of getting over that to bring new people in. But the younger players, it's amazing because they don't have that. And they'll tell their friends they're playing D&D, &D, and they'll brag about it. And it is so crazy. I'm like, it's such a different world. I wish I could have done that in high school, but I couldn't. I remember being in the Navy. And someone said, hey, do you ever play D&D? No, I never played D&D. I'm in the Navy. You know, right? But the one piece of advice, you should learn how to play. You've been playing for a while. Bring some new people into it. And that's my one thing uh, I wish we would. We, you know, And I see it happening. It's growing. So it, it's, I wish it was faster, though. And, and I have to agree so much with everything you just said, Michael L. Because I mean, the the growth is key. I mean, that's we 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 want to see it expand. We want to see more people. And you know, the the simple and easy way that everyone can do is just, hey, friend who doesn't play tabletop, come play tabletop with us. It's really that easy. Um, and hopefully the the, the stigma is going away. Senda, I have you up next. Um, what uh, what do you have? What's your what's your one big piece of advice? Um, so my one big piece of advice, actually, for being a better player specifically um, is something that, that I did found personally extremely helpful, and that is um, try GMing. And that seems maybe a little bit backwards, but um, it helps so much to know what's going on in the person who's running the game's head, and it helps build that trust situation and really make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, I think the best thing, even if you 
try jamming once and you're like, that was awful, I'm terrible, I'm never doing it again. Like, even if that's your reaction to it and you never do it again, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really helpful to know what's going on on the other side of that screen because then you can make decisions as a player where you're helping build the story and helping the GM um, and helping all of the people at the table tell the coolest story they possibly could. Okay, I, I, a short and sweet answer. Uh, Michael, okay. you're the, uh, the, the the last one up. What's your what's your one piece of advice? Well, since I'm last, and I always do this anyways, I'm going to cheat because I have more than one. Uh, so number one is what Michael said, uh, bring other people in the hobby. 100% be an ambassador and let people know that this is a fun thing that you can do and bring them into it, which, again, that is really why we started our podcast was to help people come into the hobby. So I'm, I'm very glad he mentioned that. The second one I was going to do when he took that from me is Cinda's is be a GM. I think that is great advice because it will change your perspective on how the game works. Uh, you will realize things that other players do that you're like, oh, I bet I do that as a player. That's really annoying. I should not do that again. Um, and then so the third one I would say is help the GM as best you can. Okay, most of us, I think, we don't really want to play an on-the-rails game, but sometimes you're going to. When the GM puts a railroad in front of you, just get on the railroad tracks and go with it. Make the, you know, Don't be whiny about it. Don't make it not fun for everybody else. Okay, fine, we're going to go through the cave. We're going to rescue the princess. We're going to kill the dragon, but we're going to do it in the most fun way possible. Um, and then I'll even give one quick one, fourth one. Don't be a quarterback for other players. Just because you're experienced, don't tell them what to do. You can help them, make sure they know what they can do, but don't say, this is what you should do now, this is the spell you should use, oh, you shouldn't take that spell, uh, you know, you need to flank here because that gives me a bonus. Just help them understand what they can do, but don't tell them what to do. And that's my four pieces of advice. I give him one and he takes four. My entire relationship with Michael. Yes. The no, that was that was phenomenal. That was great. The uh so this this brings us to the the end of our panel here on players. Um I do want to to go around the table here real quick and have everyone tell us a, a just a little tiny bit about your show and tell us about something show or or whatever it is that you you do why you're why you're the notable personality on the panel today. Um and uh you know what what are some things that you have upcoming? So uh, actually I'm going to start with with, uh, with with Michael L, what uh, what do you do, and what are some some upcoming things you have going on? I don't have anything. <laughs> you know, we we just have a blog. It's really what it is. It's a news website. So you know, I got I got something coming out Monday um, that I'm working on, and it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't want it to be a surprise, but I'm I'm going to give you a pitch because the the Trivalley.com is a fantastic website, and I the, you all have how many articles a week come out? I mean, it's a lot, right? It's a uh, five plus guest, and then all the extra new stuff that I find out on the webs that I find interesting. Uh, Kickstarters, I find every you know I try to get a lot of stuff on there. Um, I well, and then I, we do. But, but it's fine. I was just saying that uh, we we do have a guest article, so we we get a lot of um, a lot of submissions. Uh, we can't post everything because we have, there's a lot of formatting, or it's just really off topic and weird, and uh, so. So that's why you refuse to post all of my my L five R feng shui fanfic, then, right? Is I would that... love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael. L. Kevin, uh, what uh, what do you do? What do you have upcoming? 
Well, I'm the other blogger in the group, although it's just me. I do have a few contributors, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not quite as advanced as Triviality. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, you can find me at uh, Melvin Smith's Geekery. Uh, Melvin Smith was an old nickname of mine. Uh, it's Mel Smith Games at WordPress.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at SharnDM. Uh, I, I don't really have a release schedule, you know, so I just post things when I post them, and it's just a wide variety of things, mostly tabletop gaming. Uh, but who knows, you might see a movie review mixed in there or anything geek-related. And, uh, you know, maybe one of these days I'll even do that podcast I'm talking about with my buddy. You can never have too many podcasts talking about the same thing, right? <laughs> Clearly not, but easy on that, that movie review territory. You're going to muscle into Michael's territory a little bit too much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Christopher, what, uh, what, what about you? What do you have going on? What do you got upcoming? Well, um, I am the uh, late-to-the-game co-host of uh, Sharkbone Podcast, so I'm a notable personality because I came in on Devin's coattails. <laughs> um, it's really his show. He's just nice enough to uh, let me babble incoherently about stuff. Um, you know, we put out a, a fortnightly podcast, which is every two weeks, for those who don't know what fortnightly means. You learn something new today. Awesome. You can take that to the bank. Uh, we have, actually, I have an interview with uh, Rob Schwab that should be dropping on Monday about his new Shadow of the Demon Lord role-playing game. Um, otherwise, we do um, episodes about world-building, and our w one episode a month is world-building. The other episode is just uh, random miscellaneous chatter that our um, patrons tell us what they want us to talk about, and we talk for an hour. Um, other than that, you know, I'm... Um, just some dude, <laughs> and I'll, I'll I'll back up the the, the world building uh, podcast that y'all do is really good advice. I'm I'm really enjoying the the series that you're doing with the world building. Um, let's see. I think I've got send up now. So um, what? Uh, let's tell us about your your show and what, uh, what what you've got coming up. Jim, I'm pretty sure you said nest. I don't think I did. Nest. I really I don't think, think I did. <laughs> Um, well, as we discussed at the beginning, I am one half of She's a Super Geek, the um, actual play podcast, and that's because I found my Emily, and uh, we decided to start recording one-shots of a lot of indie games that we've been discovering or we're already into. Um, we release bi-weekly every Tuesday, every other Tuesday. Um, you can find us at SAS Geek Podcast on Twitter um, or our website, sasgeek.com. Um, and our next episode is actually coming out this Tuesday, the 12th, and it's the third and final episode of our Heroin podcast by Ginger Goat Games. Um, and we played with the boys from Misdirected Mark. Um, it's a good one. And, of course, I always got to give a big plug out to the Misdirected Mark podcast. Uh, uh, Phil and the other guy from the Misdirected Mark podcast do a wonderful show over there. Um, before we get to Michael, let me go ahead and do do mine, and then I'll give him sort of the end here. Of course, uh, I've, I've been your moderator here for the evening. My name is Jim McClure. I run a podcast called Talking Tabletop, where we talk with notable personalities within the world of tabletop. Um, we, we recently did a little bit of a move, um, so, of course, that, uh, that stuff is ongoing currently, but 
but uh, we've got a couple couple good episodes coming out. Uh, one good one with Rich Baker that I actually did at a Catacon, uh, where he talks about how he invented the rage power for barbarians and how he is the guy behind it. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have that. And uh, Rich was Rich was a phenomenal interview. So that was a wonderful good time. And then I have to plug because I spent the rest of the day before this play testing stuff. Um, I've got a a production company. Oh, and and I have to like announce things. Then I guess. Um, yeah, it's called. Third Act Games, which is you're about to all hear a lot more about that as we get into it, but I have a very ambitious like three, I think three Kickstarter projects in the next 14 months if I can keep to my own self-inflicted schedule. Um, so a board game, a card game, and an RPG. So we might as well hit it all. Um, but that's uh, that's what I have upcoming on the work. So let's let's turn it over to to Papa Bear himself, uh, just plain Michael. Uh, Michael. Tell us about what you do. Tell us about what you have upcoming, and and take us on out, sir. All right. Well, again, my name is Michael from the RPG Academy podcast. Uh, It is the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network, uh, which hosts a bunch of different podcasts. Most of the people on the panel are or were part of that. They're still part of the family. Uh, It also includes some other sites, including blogs like Tribality and Melvin Smith's Geekery. Uh, We also have some other like websites, I don't exactly know how to categorize them, but like uh, gamersplane.com, which is a play-by-post site, as well as City of Brass, which is, again is a web suite of tools for managing your game. Uh, we are looking to expand and add new shows, so if you have something that you think fits, let me know and we will take a look at that. Uh, as far as podcasts go, again, we do a bunch of them, but mostly it comes down to either a discussion show or an actual play of some sort. Uh, we release every week, and then most of the time we release twice a week. We are currently in the middle of our Legend of the Five Rings Series 2, which the first series was on the one-shot podcast uh, show, and now we're doing part two. And then after that, we did a trial of a Scandinavian D&D clone called Simba Room, which is actually very interesting and cool, and that will be coming out next. And of course, the biggest news for me is a catacomb. Uh, that is the convention that we are generating around our show. This will be our second year publicly. It's going to be in November, like I mentioned. We're going to do a Kickstarter for it again, uh, so stay tuned for those details. And then I will be going to a bunch of conventions. I'll be going to CincyCon, Winter Fantasy, Origins, and Gen Con, I know. Uh, so if you're going to any of those and want to find me, uh, we'll play some games. Uh, that's it for me, Jim. Thank you so very much uh, for moderating, and thank you all for the panelists for being here. And thank you to all our viewers. We actually had quite a few that popped in and out. Thank you for the questions that you sent in. Uh, if you have suggestions for a future panel, we've done one on GMing. We've now done one for the players. We're going to try to do this semi-regularly. Uh, please give us some suggestions so that we'll do things that you will want to listen to and will be helpful. So unless anyone has anything else, we'll just sign off there. All right, no one raised their hand, so thank you guys all so very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks to everyone. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Obligatory goodbye. <laughs>